This morning we are turning our attention to a new summer series, um, uh, and our passage is from James, James chapter 1. But this morning, um, I was thinking about, I, I wanted to get back to the basics to a little, to some degree this summer, and, and so I, I thought about coming back to the section of, of Exodus 20, where we have our given uh, what literally is referred to as the Ten Words. We know them as the Ten Commandments. Um, and, and so over the, it'll be 11 weeks, I'm introducing the, this, the series today, but um, Michael and I will be teaming up on this and, and uh, working um, through the Ten Commandments. It, it gives us an opportunity um, uh, to work through um, what it means to love God, what it means to love one another. It allows us to think about issues of, of uh, the heart, of the mind, of our behavior and our practice to, to wrap our minds around critical issues of morality and ethics. And, and it pushes us in the direction of our sanctification. Okay, So we're, we're moving um, in the direction of sanctification as we work through uh, this series. Since the Ten Commandments uh, were written, they've been understood to be at the heart of how believers in God um, uh, are to live. And so my goal this morning is, is before getting to the Ten Commandments themselves, is, is to help us better understand the way the Scriptures situate them, the, the proper context in which we approach God's law uh, and the role that God's law um, should have within our lives. So this morning, we're beginning in James chapter 1. I'm going to be reading verses 22 through 25, and I invite you to stand for the reading of the Word of God. James writes, But be doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he uh, was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Would you pray with me? Merciful Father, it is not your desire that we should walk in darkness. Pour into our hearts the light of your truth that we may know your good and acceptable and perfect will for our lives. Help us to rightly discern between truth and error, good and all that is evil, to the end that we may walk with humility in the paths of righteousness, to the glory of your holy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. So what I'd like to do is, is um, I'm trying to give some encouragement um, for why it's, it's really critical for us to, um, to pursue the law of God, to pursue the commandments of God, um, and, and, but also to help recognize how they should be situated within the life of the Christian believer. And so, um, as we address the role of the life uh, of the law, uh, I want to begin with just this basic encouragement: 
contrary to what many think, the law, the commands of God are, in fact, they're key, they're critical to freedom and blessing. Okay, so, the law, so what the Bible does is the Bible connects. It says if you want to be free, if you want to experience blessing, you need to understand God's law. And the book of James is very concerned um, that the behavior of Christians uh, is concerned that, that our behavior should be consistent with what we preach. <laughs> you know, um, our, our uh, walk should match our talk. It's not enough what James says, and this is really a, a critical kind of little passage in the scope of the entire letter of James, um, and what he is showing us, it's, it's not enough to be merely a hearer. Okay, you do need to hear. <laughs> you need to know what the Word says. You need to know what the law is about and what we're expected to uh, be about in our lives, uh, but that's not enough to be a hearer. Uh, James is very concerned uh, that we are also doers of the Word of God. It is quite possible to go to church every Sunday, and all that is really happening is that the Word of God, the preaching of the Word, goes in one ear and out the other. It's possible to go to Sunday school, and that afternoon, hey, what was Sunday school about? <laughs> Don't know. <laughs> But I hopefully you do care. And okay, so the truth is, this is a, a you know, this is um, this is likely for everybody. Okay, from time to time. But my point is, and what James is saying is, is that if this is a regular occurrence where you're just hearing, and there's no, it's not affecting the way you think, it's not affecting the way you speak, it's not affecting the way you live. Um, then you may be self-deceived. That's what James is saying, that you may think you are in a good relationship with the Lord, but in reality, uh, you are not. But as we move to verse 25, James provides us with strong encouragement. And there he says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law he describes as a law of liberty, which we don't get, We think law binds, law restrains, law takes away from our freedom, but that's not what uh, the Scriptures teach. So we look into the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. Here's what James says. He will be blessed. She will be blessed in her doing. There are two important observations here. The first thing is to recognize, so when James talks about the law of liberty, um, as you look at the context of James, it seems like he's got two things in mind. Very clearly, he's referring to the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is talking about the law of God. Um, That comes out very clearly in uh, the letter of James. But also he has the law of Moses in his mind, which he also refers to. And when we look at the law and just basically say, well, how does the Old Testament law uh, apply to believers? And what we say is um, there are certainly some laws that we consider to be ceremonial in nature. That is, they were about the temple. They were about sacrifices. They were in some ways specific to Israel and usually fulfilled in Jesus. Those ceremonial laws um, no longer um, um, are binding for believers. But there are other laws, like um, the, the Ten Commandments, that just flow out of the character of God. 
that because law flows from the morality of God, that moral law continues into the lives of believers. And I should say, too, in the history of the church, the Ten Commandments have been right at the heart. It's one of the very first things. There are like two things in the Bible you've got to memorize in the history of the church. One was the Ten Commandments. The other was the Lord's Prayer. And if you look at like our Reformation creeds, almost in our catechisms, almost all of them work through Ten Commandments, then um, the Apostles' Creed, and then the Lord's Prayer. It's almost always part of the structure of Reformed um, uh, catechisms. And so James is saying, though, that this moral law of God, it brings blessing. James describes uh, these laws not as, en- as enslaving, not as a straitjacket, but just the opposite. They are the perfect law that gives freedom. Or you could think of it, the perfect law that sets us free. But how can James here describe the binding commands of God is that which leads to freedom? See, that, that's the question. This is, this is where modern people are like, what? <laughs> it doesn't compute. Well, the reason is, is because of how it, it depends on your definition of freedom. And this becomes critical. You see, in our modern world, we define freedom as the freedom to do whatever we want to do. Freedom is the freedom to be whatever we want to be. Now, how many of you think that's the way the Bible defines freedom? The way the Bible defines freedom is as freedom from the bondage of sin. So biblical freedom is freedom from bondage that's often created by our own sinful choices, And it's freedom then, which is the reverse of bondage, to be who God wants you to be. True biblical freedom is the freedom to do the will of God, to be who God wants us to be. And when we are who God wants us to be, you see, this leads to liberty. It leads to a good conscience. It leads to a sense of satisfaction that's not just on the surface, but it goes deep into our souls. It leads to blessing. It leads to really enduring, deep down, happiness. You see, the Bible even knows what we need, and it defines freedom in a particular direction. The language of the perfect law is likely an allusion to Psalm 19. Listen to these words of David. The law of the Lord is what? Perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. You see the connection between law and liberty and joy. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, more to be desired than gold. Now, I know with inflation, (laughs) gold is a hot commodity. But even more to be desired than gold is to know the law of the Lord and to practice it in our lives. Sweeter than honey 
and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. It warns us from the lives, the choices that lead to dead ends. And I don't know why, but most of us are like, we got to touch that burner to know that it's going to burn us. But the law warns us, and in keeping them, there is great reward. Psalm 19. Well, James can refer to the law of God or the law of Christ as liberty, because part of the new covenant promises is that God will grant. You see, here's also why it is a liberty, because in the new covenant, the Spirit comes and actually grants us the grace and the power to begin over a lifetime progressively to be fully obedient to the law of God. And so in it, um, we see blessing. In the law, God is revealing to us with clarity a road that results in freedom from bondage, the road to blessing. It is blessing because the law is wise. It is wisdom. It is blessing because it leads to a life that is admired. It is a blessing because it results in order. It's a blessing because in a world in which the majority of lives are aimless in their orientation, God's law provides us with direction that we press on to achieve in our lives. It's going to stand out for those who are serious about living according to God's law. And then the law uh, understood properly and applied in the life of the believer, far from inhibiting our lives and taking away from our joy, it results in the very things we all desire. And at the same time, uh, if we misunderstand the role of, of the law, it can create also damage. So now what I want to do is just work through, uh, try and wrap our minds around the proper place of the law in the life of the believer. And what I do want to just begin by noting is that the new covenant expects us to obey Christ's commands, okay? The new covenant expects us to obey Christ's commands. Now, to some of you, you know, this seems hardly, you know, necessary to even say, Of course, Christians are expected to live according to God's laws. But from another perspective, okay, so when I was growing, um, you know, moving through my teens and college years, it was something that was regularly said. I don't think I hear it quite as much, but but when you talk about Christianity, it was something like this. Christianity, it's not a a bunch of, it's not a list of rules that you have to check off. It's not a code of conduct. It's a relationship, okay? Okay. Now, there's great truth in this. At the center of our uh, Christian life and faith is a relationship with the triune God. That's absolutely true. But it undermines the idea that we are actually in a, a, a relationship that's also a covenant. And within covenants, these, these solemn binding agreements made by promises and oaths, um, there are expectations about what, you know, how we, we grow in this relationship. Even in a marriage covenant, if you think about it, um, you know, husband and wife take vows. It establishes, uh, it takes two and it turns the two into a one. It takes an I and it becomes a we. But around that covenant are all kinds of expectations that govern that covenantal relationship. And so, too, is true in our relationship with the Lord, with the triune God, that it is surrounded by the covenant expectations and, and But what we need to understand is, is how they operate. 
But just to press this point, John 14, 21, Jesus says this, whoever has my commands and obeys them, uh, or in the language of James, they're not merely hearers, but they're doers. Jesus says, he is the one who loves me. And then in his great commission, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I've commanded you. Actually, I left something out. It actually says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. It's teaching and obedience. At the heart of this commandment is the church's duty to teach Christians, to teach disciples of Jesus, to obey all that he has taught and all that he has commanded. Now, having established that the Christian faith includes commands, we need to press on. We need to ask, so how do these commands operate in the life of the believer? And here I'm just I'm going to say three things. The first thing is, um, and this I think is critical in terms of how we approach the law, how we approach the morality of the Bible, we need to understand uh, we do not um, obey God's commands in order to secure our salvation. Okay, this is, this is, so when God's covenant comes to us, he's, he's already established the relationship with us. He's already satisfied the requirements necessary that serve as the ground of our salvation. The law of God um, brings perfect liberty uh, in part because it's not necessary for the believer to uh, uh, either earn their salvation or to maintain it, maintain the security of their position in Christ, their position as sons and daughters within God's family. It's not necessary for them to, to uh, secure that continually through their good works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is a critical passage about this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. You see, your salvation is a gift of God, not as a result of works. And I think this is a key phrase here. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Your works do not contribute to your security with the Lord. God, the triune God, the mighty God saves you from beginning to end. The Father has elected you before the foundation of the world. Before you were born, before you had any say, he already saw you and he chose you in Christ. Jesus came. He did the work of living the perfect law perfectly. You know, he, he was fully righteous in our place, and then he pays for all of our misdeeds. He didn't commit any misdeeds. He dies in our place to pay the penalty, to die as an atonement for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, he doesn't have to come back. He doesn't, there, there's no need for more sacrifices. When he was on the cross, what did he say? It is finished. And then he sat down. That sitting is that picture of my work is finished. No need for more sacrifices in order to secure our salvation. And then the Spirit comes and seals us. This is Ephesians chapter 1. Seals us. In the kingdom, to make sure that from the process beginning to end, God will save 
all his holy church. And so the critical question is, are we connected to Jesus? If we're connected, if we're in union with Jesus, we are clothed in his perfect righteousness. So when it comes to law keeping, it isn't some, it's not out of a slavish fear like, oh, if I don't do this, I'm out. That's not why we obey. We obey, and this is part of the freedom that we have. We obey out of a sense of this is now who we are. This is, you know, out of gratitude for what the Lord has done. We should want to grow, and we should want to pursue a life that pleases God, not just on the outside. We're not just talking behavior modification. We're talking about this transformation that begins, and and it's going to penetrate all the way to the deepest part of our hearts, to the deepest part of our souls. And so if the law is not necessary to gain God's forgiveness or his favor, well, what's the point of the law? Well, why then should we study something like the Ten Commandments? Well, at least for two basic reasons. Probably lots more. But first, um, because we are unable to ever perfectly measure up to the law, even for a single day of our lives, the law continues to show us where we fall short. The law shows us our sin, and it does its for an important reason. It has an important um, uh, purpose in terms of our sanctification. So I'm going to come to this, and and let me just read from Romans chapter 7. This is the Apostle Paul, verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means, Paul writes. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Now, what's the apostle saying? He's saying, in part, what helps open my eyes to how far I fall short is the law of God, shining the light. This is what it means to walk in conformity with God's will in a manner that pleases him. And as I recognize the depth and the gravity of God's law, I realize Wow, I really fall short. Now, but for the, for the believer, this is not where it ends. It should lead us over and over again to the gospel. It should lead us over and over to the foot of that cross as a reminder of what our Savior accomplished for us. And the results of this, you see, are... Okay, so sometimes people refer to Reformed people as being pride and, um, proud and ignorant, or not ignorant, but, you know, arrogant. But the reality is, if you get this, this point, that you have nothing to do with your salvation, that the law points us and shows us our, our failings and our need for a Savior, it actually makes us so humble. And what it should do is make us not just humble with ourselves and grateful for what the Lord has done, but it should help us to be patient with each other. It's, I don't know why. We're so much better at spotting the faults in other people than we are in ourselves. But if we recognize more deeply how far I fall short, how far Rich Lanning falls short every single day, it, it, it promotes and produces a godly patience, a, a love and a tenderness for one another, even when others fall short. 
John Bunyan puts it this way, the man who does not know the nature of the law cannot know the nature of sin. And he who does not know the nature of sin cannot know the nature of the Savior. You see, the law helps us to appreciate more deeply our need for a Savior. And the older you get, the more precious the gospel becomes. You think it might be the reverse. You know, you just kind of like, oh, I don't need that anymore. No, it's sweeter. It's more necessary every day the older you get. So not only does the law show us our need for for grace, for a Savior, not only does it humble us, uh, but it also um, provides us with clear direction for living life. And this is an idea that is just as true for uh, uh, us as it was for the Old Testament believers. And now I'm coming to that great psalm, Psalm 119, just a few uh, passages from that. There the writer says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In verses 129 and following, he writes, Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. The law of God is a kind of lamp that illuminates the path we must take in life. It brings moral clarity to a world of moral confusion. And it says to us, That this is a picture, the law gives us a picture of what it means to love God, what it means to love one another. And we see the law perfectly lived out in the life of Jesus himself. The Ten Commandments are at the heart of what it means to be conformed to Christ. And as we pursue the law of God, here's what the law wants to do within us. It's it's what Hebrews 4.12 says, and For the word, or or you might say, for the law of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, what God wants to do is he, he wants to not just, you know, the whole world in some sense has the law of God in their conscience, And so Romans 1 says, they know there is a natural law. They know there is a God, but they reject it. They suppress the truth. But to have the law written on your conscience is not enough. And so what the scriptures tell us is in the new covenant, what God does is he he turns us, he makes us into a new creation, and he writes the law within our hearts so that this is something we want to begin more and more to express throughout all of our life. And we don't want it just to be like, you know, um, behavior modification, just to look good on the outside. I can get through the next hour. I can bite my tongue. That's not really what the, the goal is. The Spirit wants to rewire you all the way down to your DNA. It wants the law to be a natural outgrowth of our lives. And again, The process is not like, it's not a straight line from, you know, I started as an infant and I become mature. It's more like the life of of Abraham. It's a roller coaster of faith. But as you go through life, the, the goal is to keep moving closer and more conformity with God's law and within the image of Jesus. Well, let me just sum it up this way. 
Though the law does not save us, it nevertheless continues to play a critical role in the life of the believer in at least two ways. First, by our failure to live up to the law, it continually reminds us of our need for the righteousness of Jesus. And this makes us a humble and grateful people. And second, it provides God's people with a clear moral structure showing us how to live our lives in a manner pleasing to God. And furthermore, there is great benefit in this. When we orient our lives in a consistent manner with God's law, it leads to true freedom, blessing, and human flourishing. Well, let's pray. Oh, Lord, it is from you that all good things come. Lord, grant to us that by your word and spirit, we may think on those things that are good, and by your guidance, perform the same. Help us to subdue every fear so that we would live above the love of the world. Help us to prefer the approval of a good conscience and your divine favor to the praise of the world. Grant us integrity in our relationships, sincerity in our speech, and strong faith in adversity. And may each of us bend our wills in order to do your will. And so finish the work that you have given each of us. Through Jesus, our Lord. Amen.